Gather round, circle up, fill the cup, spill the tea Just believe, just believe the diamond dogs are here And that means that you're not alone We get one shot at this life And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try The diamond dogs are here Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode two of season two of the Diamond Dogs podcast. I am Jason Barnaby here with my fabulous co-host, Beth Rashley, Beth Rashley, <laughs> who is coming off of a COVID bout and uh, sad so, face. Yeah, sad face. So you'll probably hear me do more talking today than normal. So you have a chance now to bail on the episode if you don't want to hear that. Um, <laughs> just saying. No bailing. We're, we're going to dig right into episode two, um, which is uh, named Lavender for reasons we'll talk about when we get there. But let's give you a quick recap. Uh, you may remember that Jamie has joined a reality TV show called Lust Conquers All. And he is up for being removed from the show. Of course, he doesn't think it's going to happen. He does get removed. And there's a hilarious um, hilarious part of the show where he goes on a talk show because they're like, what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, I think I'll go back and play for my other, my other team. And the other team doesn't want him. Thus, causing Jamie to uh, do a uh, tail-tucking walk back to Ted and uh, basically says, hey, man, I, I would really like to come back. And the reason that I, uh, the, like deep down, the reason that I did this is because my dad's a jerk and I did it kind of to get back at him. So Paulette, uh, Ted just says, you know, I don't think it's a really good idea. Uh, somebody takes a picture of it and it goes viral and on Twitter and Sam um Sam believes that Jamie's coming back. You remember that Sam and Jamie had a lot of issues. I love what Ted says uh, when Sam says, like, it's all over Twitter. He goes, Twitter's crazy. They made an account about my mustache, um, which I just think is funny. So, um, and then we see Roy, uh, life after football. He has become this uh, girls team and they lose their championship game. And the whole scene at the end when they get consolation trophies is just fantastic. So make sure to watch that. And then Keely convinces Roy to try to be a pundit for Sky Sports and talk about football. And he does. And it's just hilarious because he is just Roy Kent in all his glory. They even one of the guys like introduces him. And I think Roy just goes, <laughs> he just kind of grunts at him. Um, he does some cussing and, you know, as he is because he's Roy, but the public loves him because they're like, you know what? That's he's just who he is, which is a theme of this show over and over and over. And then we see Ted really reconsidering this whole idea of bringing Jamie back to the team. He pulls the Diamond Dogs on their opinion, um, and it's a split vote. Higgins says yes. Beard and Nate go against it. And uh, Roy, though he went kicking and screaming to do this pundit thing, really realizes that he it's great to be around the game again and enjoys being on the show. And then... At the end, Jamie comes to practice and is rejoining Richmond and just all kinds of like yeah. what and in that, the world now is going on. Things are going to get interesting. Things are getting heated <laughs> up. 
And, you know, remember also that we have Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, Feldstone, don't remember Fieldstone, exactly. I think, yeah. yeah. Playing, a, a, you know, a more, a bigger role and uh, just being a part of all of that. So lots of great stuff. Super excited because we are going to have some really cool guests on the podcast today with um, their a therapy couple. And uh, we're really excited about having them. And you'll yeah. hear all about them when we get there. So make sure to yeah. listen in on that piece. This recurring theme of the therapy, I think that's going to be big for us this season. And yes. I think it's a it's a pertinent topic for us to be talking about it right is. now and an important topic. So yeah. excited about that. All right. Where do we want to start, friend? There's so much fun. There's episode. there's a lot. <laughs> and I think, you know, because we are talking about the therapy thing, I think we start at that that piece. Um, you know, Ted obviously is not super excited about this whole therapy thing. You'll find out more about that as the season goes on. And uh, he and uh, Rebecca are talking about <laughs> therapy. My favorite. This might and, be my favorite scene from the whole episode. Yeah. So take the, why don't you take that quote? <laughs> so funny. So Ted, Ted goes in for biscuits with the boss and he asks her, he asks Rebecca, you know, have you ever been to a therapist? And her response is what for? I can di diagnose myself in a heartbeat. I thought being invulnerable would protect me. So I pushed people away for years, leading me to directly to my greatest fear, being alone. <laughs> And she says it like all super fast, right. all at once. <laughs> it's so it good. Hilarious. It's just hilarious. And also you can tell it's true. It's also right. a super self-aware statement because it's exactly um, the case for her. And then yeah. they go on in that conversation and I can't remember which one of them says it, but why, why pay someone to do what your friends can do for free? That's why you have friends to burden them with your issues and anxieties, <laughs> which I think should be how we all interview friends in the future. Are you willing to be burdened with my issues and anxiety? Yeah. So Ted actually starts that and then Rebecca responds. And then Ted says at the end of that whole thing, cause I actually was watching and took screenshots cause I had subtitles oh, on oh Ted goes. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, speaking of, you got anything you want to get off your chest? She goes, no, you. And he goes, no, no, you, <laughs> and it's just, just really awkward. He's like, see, see what I mean? We're good. And they just move on. And it's, and, and if you have ever thought like, why would I want to see a therapist? What's that? What does that even look like? Um, I'm terrified of that whole idea. We unpack a lot of that with our guests today. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, sure. so I like the whole like making light of therapy and yes. also the realism that's in it, because I do think for a lot of people, it's a scary thing. And yeah. we do make excuses like, I don't need a therapist. I have friends or, you know, like it, mm -hmm. it's all very accurate, I think. Yeah. And funny all at the same time. So. And I will just, uh, you know, you'll hear me say this a lot throughout the season, but, um, I have been in therapy for 18 months. Biggest regret is I didn't do it earlier. And what you see is yes, your friends are good. It's good to have them in your life. It's good for, you know, to have people. I mean, we talk about tribe and the importance of the people around you all the time. But folks who are trained therapists have a tool uh, box that can support you and give you tools that your friends just simply can't. So there's yeah. that. Absolutely. Something to chew on. Yeah. So Absolutely. Beth, we have uh, a couple of things happening that I see overarching things that are coming to a head. One, we've got some confrontation and some conflict on the team. 
We've got uh, Jamie coming back. People aren't really super excited about that. We've got Nate starting to get more power. He starts being more of a jerk to the kit man, um, which is, uh, I think we could just go there now for, you know, for, for lavender. (laughs) He puts the kit man puts lavender in the uh, fabric softener to soft for the towels for the team. And Nate is just up in arms. He smells it. And he's like, can you believe this lavender? And he calls the kit man. He's like, did you put lavender in here? He's like, yeah, my girlfriend loves it. It's really calming. And he goes, we don't want calm athletes. We want killer athletes. And Beard <laughs> is sitting here kind of taking this all in. And Beard goes, even after the game and when they're showering, like, wouldn't we want them to calm down? I mean, he's basically uh-huh. saying, like, wouldn't we want them to calm down? And so you will just continue to see um, this idea of Nate micromanaging his replacement. Yes. Yeah. And I think I know we talked about this a little bit last time, but. That is so common yes. <laughs> when you're first stepping into leadership jobs, this exact dynamic is textbook. So I love that they're highlighting it because it is something that's incredibly common. And it's just a really good reflection point as you step into those first leadership jobs to kind of look back and think, how did you do that? Or how can you, mm-hmm. you know, help team members avoid that as they step into those kind of roles? Yeah. And, and I think the importance of of when you step into a new role like that as a leader, having people around you just to keep you accountable. Like, are you saying no to things? Are you pulling back from things? Are you still micromanaging things? Because we will, we will naturally gravitate to the things that we've done well. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, especially if it's our first leadership role, we've done the individual work really well. And so that's what we want to gravitate to. And it's just a different skill set. It's a different way of doing that. And I, I I really like the dual kind of the it parallel stories of, you know, you have somebody like Nate who had no confidence whatsoever and is now getting some power and gaining confidence in what that's doing. And you have Jamie who was like the literally, I think in this particular episode, it's either this one or the next one. He's got a, a hat that says icon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that takes some balls to wear yeah. a hat like that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's having to, you know, come back to Ted and basically beg for his old job back. And uh, he goes and talks to Keely and, you know, he's basically like, it's not working out. And so it's just very interesting to see the two journeys of these two people from the positions that they were in. And the positions that they that they go to, yeah, I just think it's. Yeah. I think that's a very I, interesting yeah. one. It's it's going to be a big part of the storyline this year for sure, in this particular season. And I like it too. Like you can also lump Roy into that journey too of, of yes. just, gosh, role changed. You know, life changed, and how do we handle that? And what do we do with it? And yeah. How do we stay true to ourselves? And listen, if you are, and, and I think an awful lot of people this happened to in COVID, or maybe you are now, you know, you've hung on really tightly and now you're kind of reflecting of what happens if I make a change. Yeah. Um, so many of us, I can speak for myself first for sure. Um, I was my title on my business card. And my worth went up as I climbed the ladder. That's a hard thing to admit, but that's very true. Like I thought I was a better leader because somebody had given me a bigger title or more people to manage or a bigger project. And 
Um, the fact is, it's just not true, first of all. And secondly, there's a lot of fear that comes with change and changing your your position or your responsibilities. And we get to this part where Roy, basically, you know, he and Keeley's gotten this opportunity for him. And, uh, and I love Roy is, you know, we see these vulnerable moments with Roy. And I think it's great if you have people in your life that you can be vulnerable with who, you know, are going to support you. And that's exactly what Keely does because Roy, she's like, what's like, what's the matter? What? And he finally just kind of blurts it out. And he says, he says, what if, what if everyone thinks I'm shit? And you can see like that fear of, you know, the imposter syndrome or it's not going to work out or, you know, the negative thoughts or whatever. And I love Keely's response in true Diamond Dogs fashion. She says, since when do you care what people think? You're Roy fucking Kent. Like, <laughs> it's just so fantastic. Yeah. And, and you know what I love about this? Like, you can tell from the scene that that's that it's just a good reminder for Roy. I mean, obviously, Roy knows who he is, but this is a reminder of who he is. And he kind of you can see him kind of be like, yeah, that's right. That's who yeah. I am. And yeah. he goes and kills it. But uh, having those people in our lives who can, um, who can speak into you and, and listen, that fear eventually does go away as you continue to walk in these new roles and get more comfortable with things. Um, yeah, it becomes the new normal. Yeah. I mean, I've shared that and, and it doesn't, I, I've actually found um, that this doesn't happen it rarely happens to me anymore. Um, but even last year when I would go do a keynote, you know, my what if about was who am I to talk and who am I, you know, mm -hmm. and now it's like, I'm not Roy fucking Kent, but like, I'm like, I'm the guy whose name is on the, whose name was on the promotional flyer that you put out. I'm the guy who's yeah. like, be going to be introduced in just a minute. So um, just continuing to walk in in that and just remember that haters are going to hate and that jealousy shows up in really interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. It just does. What so else? What other, other lessons? For yeah. You? The other thing I just wanted to dive into this dynamic too, that happens, there's a great conversation that happens between Ted and Sam in this episode. So mm -hmm. Sam, you see, we see a side of Sam, you know, Sam is usually super level-headed and, you know, he's kind of the I feel like super emotionally intelligent team member. He's just wise and, you know, super low key. And he sees this, you know, picture on Twitter of, you know, Jamie and Ted, and he is fired up. Like you see mm -hmm. some anger from him that, you know, we just don't typically see this side. He back talks Ted. And, oh yeah. It gets all yeah. sassy. So they're having practice and Sam, Sam is mouthing off and eventually walks off the field. And first the, Ted is horrified by that because Sharon is watching practice. Yeah, so, you doc, know, he knows he's being doc, watched yeah. and yeah, he's, he's not pleased about that, but then he, he goes after Sam and is trying to talk to him. And it's such a great feedback conversation. It's just another great example of like yep. what a good relationship between a leader and a team member can look like and how you work through these hard things. It's, you know, it starts off angry and Sam, you know, ends up telling him what he saw and, you know, Ted ends up, you know, telling him, you know, that's not true. I just had a drink with him. I'm not bringing him back. And Sam discloses has this really sweet moment where he, he discloses that, you know, his dad is really happy that mm -hmm. he's on Ted's team and he knows that he's in safe hands with Ted. And you can see how much that means to, 
been, you know, they, they get to this really great resolution. And then uh, Ted goes, <laughs> you know, I still have to make you run a bunch of laughs. And, and Sam goes, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and he goes, and I think he even says like, I was hoping I'm, I was, I'm looking forward to it, or I was yeah. hoping you would like, I was hoping, I was hoping you would. So yeah, it's just <laughs> really cute, but it's, you know, it's another one of those like great feedback moments where, you know, he could have as a leader. And how many times have we seen leaders like just let something like that go without yeah. the follow-up conversation yeah. or without understanding what's really happening. And it would have been a real missed moment here. For well, and I think reasons. the other thing that this speaks to as well, and, and again, I think we can tie it back to, you know, mental health and all the things like Sam had a reason that he was upset, but that reason was not readily apparent in the way that he was acting in practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when they come into the locker room and Sam is mad and Ted is like, what is your problem? I think Sam's like, do you really want to know or something? And I love Ted's response because I don't think, mo- I don't think a lot of leaders would be willing to say this. And he says, Sam, you are a leader on this team. I want you to speak your mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, I'm sure there are people listening who have worked for leaders that leaders say that, but they don't mean it. Um, worked for leaders who would never say it. <laughs> so we never get that opportunity. And so you can tell because of the way that, that Sam responds that there is that safety there. And listen, if you aren't creating safety for your people, if it's not a safe space, if they are afraid of retribution, if they are afraid of, you know, of, of getting of, of whatever they're going to say to come back and haunt them. They're just simply not going to do it. And if you're a leader who's listening, going, well, I'll just ask my people if they feel comfortable, Mm. (laughs) you got to create, (laughs) you got to create the safety because you'll get people who go, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then you'll never hear from them. Yeah. You'll never, you'll never hear. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Such a good conversation. Okay. I think the other thing before we get to funny moments, yeah, you do see what we talked last time about Sharon's character coming in really kind of hot. Like she came in kind of full throated. And I think she's obviously becoming more and more clear how uncomfortable Ted is. Yes. And we see her in this episode kind of, kind of let him in a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's this great scene where she's, she's leaving and, um, and she, she made a comment. She makes a comment, like, I'm going to email you some thoughts. And yeah. he's, he, he said some funny line about how, why give me the highlights? Like, tell me now, you know, she's, he's trying to get her to talk to him. It'll be like hearing, reading that email will be like a cover, a cover tune of your thoughts or something. Yeah, like I want to hear really it from funny. the, yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah. Really, really funny. And in that conversation, she, she lets him start calling her doc, which you know, he is trying so hard not to do because he knows she doesn't like it, but you know, and he's so, so he's so appreciative. He's like, Whew. he's Thank like, you God. could tell that was really hard. That was really wearing me <laughs> out. <couldn't you?" laughs> yeah, like it's, it's a really, really cute, sweet moment. And then she also finally, you know, when he first started um, getting to know her, he, he asked this question about like favorite book, you know, he did his normal spiel of trying to get to know her and she totally shut him down. And she finally reveals in that conversation too, that her favorite book is Prince of Tides. So she answers that. As Which well. I've never seen, or I've never read or seen the movie. Yeah. We had that conversation earlier. This, yeah. I think that, you know, that's like a quintessential, like, I don't, can't remember if it was late eighties, early nineties. Like all the moms were reading that book back in the day. I remember. Did you say it was Barbara Streisand? Yeah. The movie is Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford. 
Oh, that would have been a must-see in the 80s, I'm sure. No, wait, is it Robert Redford or Nick Nolte? I always get them mixed up. I don't know why. Well, if it was Barbara Streisand, it was probably Robert Redford. I think it was Robert Redford. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody will I don't think me it was Nick internet. Nolte. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. One yeah. of the few movies where Barbara Streisand that Barbara Streisand's in that, that she doesn't sing. There's no singing in it. Oh wow. So anyway. Wow. Good movie. Um, so anyway, I just I like just I like the uh the dynamic there just starting to switch. And I think that's yeah. going to be really helpful for Ted. And I think that was a smart decision on her part. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think, I think, I don't know, maybe that some of this stuff that Ted has seen doc do is maybe also allowing him to be maybe a little more patient with, with Jamie. Cause you know, Jamie shows up, <laughs> Jamie shows up at the local pub and uh has his little his little army guy and he puts it on the table and he says i named him ted danson or he said i named him ted after ted danson and then of course ted lasso is like oh great and like goes through ted danson's whole you know uh career or whatever so but he asked him he's like how you doing jamie and he goes great okay yeah not so good and he, you know, like runs through all these things. And at the end, he gets to the end. He's like, pretty shit, actually. And one of my favorite lines of this whole thing is Ted goes, Wow, that was a real roller coaster there, Jamie. Glad I was tall enough to join you on that ride. <laughs> His one liners are so funny. Uh, oh, oh it's so funny. And then, uh, you know, it's what's the lady's name that runs the pub? Is it May? May. Yeah. Yeah. May. He's like, He's like, May, could you tell those guys to stop staring at me? Because, you know, the three the three big fans. And she turns around and she's like, oi, fuck off. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, fucking off me. Fuck <laughs> and that and that leads us to Jamie's next uh, oh. <laughs> quote. You want to read it? I love that quote. He goes, uh, old people are so wise. They're like tall Yodas. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, just like, oh, Jamie's so such a funny, like, it's it he's such a moron in some ways it's just like <laughs> that just shows that he's, just he's such being a, real like it's not a joke yeah. for him which you know bless james right. heart but right. i i could not stop laughing yeah that was oh that was gosh. a really good one but you I know i appreciate ha- a good star wars reference oh 100 so i think the other side of this whole thing with jamie coming back is that richmond is still winless yeah and ted has to know that they could you know, even Higgins was like, "Ooh, two aces two could aces. be very, you know, very intriguing because they got Danny Rojas in, mm-hmm. and you know, they could have Jamie back." And so I think to this whole like, how important is winning over the dynamics, and can I manage all of that? So, you know, putting this in real world scenarios, when we hire people who are, you know, the rainmakers, or you know, we hire these people who are you know, the home run hitters or rock stars or, you know, some of these things that we see. And, um, I think it's later, um, in the, in these, in this season where, you know, Jamie tries to make some reconciliation with the team and who it doesn't go as well as he, as yeah. he was hoping people get really upset. And so how do you manage all of that? And I think really the bottom line is you leave space for it. You, you allow that and your team knows that there is space to have the conversation, to give the feedback, mm-hmm. to tell you what I'm really thinking. 
um, to be myself, uh, to do all of those things. Yeah. And, um, I think I, that's I, right. I just, I don't think we, I, th- I think off what I have seen in business in both companies that I've worked for and companies that I have consulted with is that there is, there is a, an internal underlying fear of the leader that what happens if I let go of control For sure. and yeah, I'll go back to Jack Canfield quote that everything you want on the, is on the other side of fear. Yeah. I love that quote and it's, it's applicable in multiple situations, yeah, almost all situations. That's right. So, yeah, I love that. And I think the, the thought process here, like we see a different side of Ted because so often we see him when he has to choose between the dynamics of the team right. and winning, he's going to choose the team. Like that's what we've seen time and time again. But <laughs> In this case, he ends up deciding to bring Jamie back. And we'll see more about why next time, because I know yep. a lot of that is in season or in episode three. But I think it's an interesting leadership dynamic too, to be the one who ultimately, like he consulted, ultimately it's his call and he's got to yep. live with the consequences of it. So yeah, I really like that that moment. Yeah. And we would be remiss if we, um, before we bring our guests on, we did not draw attention to the fact that they talk about the diamond dogs here. And (laughs) if you, if you've been following along, poor Higgins, poor Higgins is, uh, it it doesn't have a desk because he gave his office to Dr. Sharon. And so you just see, he just shows up in the background of so many different scenes, usually knocking over his, his cup. Uh, He's got his plant and his box of stuff. And Uh, so, so funny. And uh, he's actually talking to Rebecca and Rebecca's like, what, what about, you know, this person's office? And they're like, no, she's going through a pretty tough breakup. And then he's like, besides, she sits next to laughing Liam and they both go, oh, 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 <laughs> That seems oh. really funny too. <laughs> and Which, I think we definitely confirm in this episode again that Higgins is a two. This is all super two behavior. Oh, 100%. Any behavior of, 100%. I'm just going to go ahead and sacrifice myself here. I don't yeah. want to disrupt anybody else. Yeah. So, uh, during, during a time that they're all, um, down in Ted's office, uh, I love what Ted says. He says, Higgins is a founding member of the diamond dogs. It breaks our little bow wow hearts to see you roaming around here without a desk. And, uh, you know, and this is what's cool because I love this because twos don't expect this, right? Mm -hmm. He's Higgins is just doing his, doing his thing. And, uh, he's like, Oh, somebody's caring for me, which is really nice. Uh, the, the, un, the kind of unfortunate thing, which you see kind of gets in Nate's crawl is that Ted says, we want you to move in with Nate and Nate clearly has never, yeah. this is the first Nate's hearing of this. <laughs> and he's like, and there was this really awkward high-fiving moment between, uh, Higgins and Nate. Um, but the part that I love the most of all of this is, uh, his phone rings and he looks at Ted Higgins does and he goes, are we adjourned? And he goes, Oh yeah, we're adjourned. And they're like, and you know, and everybody's barking a different way. And you hear Higgins in the background goes, yes. Hi, darling. Yes, I was. Yes. Like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go back and watch that part. Cause I didn't catch it. I swear the show goes so fast. Sometimes you cannot catch it. And I know I've watched that episode at least three or four times now. Yeah. I think I watched it again last night and it was, and it was like, I think this was the fifth time through episode two. And it's just, there's, there's more stuff that I found. Yeah, so every go back time. and watch it again, kids. Yeah. And keep those captions on. That's our tip. Always. Oh yeah. So good. Oh, my so, gosh. Okay. So well, good. let's get to our guests. We have so yes. much fun stuff to unpack. Let's go there. 
Are you leading people or dream of one day leading people? What are you doing to grow your leadership skills right now? Crisis Proof Leadership, where opportunity meets preparation, guides leaders through the seven principles of prepared leadership and helps them focus on the actions that will get them results, even during times of crisis. The book is easy to read and filled with activities and tools that will help you put what you learn into action. Grab a copy today wherever you buy books. And I can personally endorse this because I've read it and it's one of the most practical books on leadership that I've ever read. Go get one today. So we are so excited to welcome into the studio today, uh, Lauren Hall Bushman and Michael Bushman, both uh, mental health well, they can tell us exactly, but what I will call them is mental health uh, counselors, mental health therapists um, at Irvington Counseling Collective. And we'll get into how I personally know them. And uh, it's it's a cool story, but we uh, are excited. Beth and I started talking at the beginning of this year um, when we saw that the sports psychologist on um, on Ted Lasso was going to be a very prominent character, how uh, helpful it would be to start having conversations about mental health and maybe uh, trying to get over some of those stigmas that exist out there. So we are going to dive in quick and fast and deep to some of those things, but want to welcome uh, Lauren and Michael to the program. And uh, can you just introduce yourselves for the folks listening and tell them who you are, what you do, anything we should know about you, that little elevator speech. Yeah, sure. Um, um, I'm Michael Bushman. I'm a psychotherapist. I I think mental health counselor, mental health therapist, uh, Jason. It was a lovely introduction. Thank you. You're welcome. And, now, and, and it's wrong. <laughs> it's not wrong. I just feel like um, there, are, there are different ways that you can do the work that we do. And yeah. I have, or that you can get to do the work that we do. And I am a licensed clinical social worker. Like that was a oh, particular training route that okay. Lauren and I both took. See, so our listeners have already learned something new and I, and so have I. So it's, it's already a win. I don't know. I don't know what to say about myself. I work uh, as a therapist with Irvington Counseling Collective. Do you have any sort of specialties, like any certain type of clients you like to work with? Yeah, I, I work. <laughs> I like work books experiencing anxiety and depression. I have, I've received pretty extensive training and it feels so general to say in a sense, but I, I like working with folks who've experienced trauma and want to kind of relate to the, the ongoing experience, their ongoing experience related to that trauma differently. I really like working with folks who uh, are kind of going through spiritual issues like transitions. And also working with folks who have creative blocks, folks who make and want to work with that are are having challenges in that territory. I guess I've been doing this for about 10th year doing this. I'm coming in. This is, yeah, coming into my 10th year. Does it sound kind of unbelievable for you to say that it's been 10 years? Because I can see your, see, we're, we're, we, for those of you who are listening, we are on Zoom so we can see each other. So I could, I could see his face when he said 10 years, like. Has it been 10 years? Wow, it's 10 years. Someone someone yesterday told me, they said to me, like, because I was doing a similar thing where I was, I was online out and they saw my kind of quizzical look and they're like, isn't it a pain that now all your 10-year stories are turning into 15-year stories? 
Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine right. have even a few more years than that. So, all right, Lauren. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lauren Hall Bushman. I'm the founder of Irvington Counseling Collective, and I'm a psychotherapist there as well. Um, I work primarily with women and non-binary femme presenting folks. And my clinical skill set, or another way to say it, is the people I most enjoy working with and feel most efficacious in regards to my work with them. Ooh, that's a good word, efficacious. That is a good word. I know. Look at that. Well done. (laughs) It's early for that. At 1030 on a Saturday. Well done, Lauren. No, well, the people I enjoy working most with are people who are experiencing anxiety as well, who have had complex trauma histories of early childhood, people who have just had babies or are going to have babies, artists. And I really like working with people who are working in um, the hospitality industry. That's Mm -hmm. like, I've worked with a lot of people who work in the hospitality industry and just sort of like, I think that I tend to like to work with people who are just really trying to figure it out and want to feel better. And they're open and receptive to ways in which they might be able to do that. Oh, that's um, a dream client, right? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's the, so, yeah. For us as well. We like mm-hmm. those kinds of people. <laughs> yeah. Who believe in the possibility of change and are, are eager in their pursuit of looking for how to do that. Well, thank you for that. And before we, uh, before we dig in just a little bit, more with some specific questions just for our listeners. So there's a fairly getting to be a longer history as those years pile up. My wife sees Lauren and has for a while now, I think probably like, I think we're probably going on close to three, two years anyway. Um, And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before that my wife is getting a master's in mental health counseling and part of their um, requirement for that program, which I think is awesome, is you have to be in therapy. You have to have a therapist. And I think that, I think she had already started maybe with you, Lauren, before the program. I don't remember like how all that worked or went. But, and then she said to me, Hey, uh, you may think that it's a really good idea to talk to Lauren's husband. And I was like, Well, why would I need to do that? Like everything's <laughs> like this onion doesn't have that many layers. Like I I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm okay. And uh you her. yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna I just baked a pie and hope that she would, you know, get uh distracted and not keep talking about <laughs> therapy. It didn't work. So I think uh, Michael and I have been uh, working together for I think we're going on like eight, we're getting close to the 18 month mark, I think. And um, I've shared this before on social media and with other people. And, and I'll say it here just so it's, it's very clear. My biggest regret with starting therapy is that I didn't do it 20 years earlier because gosh, dang it. (laughs) Cause it turns out that the, uh, it turns out that the onion has lots of layers and most of them make you cry, um, as onions tend to do. And so what's been really cool from our perspective as a family is we have, uh, two teenage kids, a boy and a girl who both also have gone and uh, spent time with, with Michael and Lauren respectively, which is, so it's kind of a family affair. And so when this whole opportunity to talk about mental health came up, I was like, we're not going to have an on-air, you know, like therapy session, but I do think there's just a lot of history here that would be, that would be super helpful to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of leads me to my first question, Jason, because I think one of the things I want to make sure that we 
chat about that's so kind of prominent in this first episode of, you know, where we see this new character come in is the stigma that goes with <laughs> um, seeking therapy or sitting down and talking to somebody. And I'm curious, I think that's changing. You know, I, I think we can see it, especially the last couple of years, the pandemic has done anything for us. Hopefully it's made us a little bit more conscious of the need here, but I'm curious from both of your perspectives, how do you combat that? You know, how do we keep getting better at, you know, leaving space for this important work? Well, I think that in this realm of work, Mike mentioned, he's been doing this for 10 years and I've been working as a, I worked as a social worker for four years before I became a therapist. So I'm, I've been doing this for almost 14 years, working with clients who, because of circumstance, they're required to be attending some therapeutic intervention of some sort is much different than the experience of being in private practice. Generally, the folks who are coming to our group collective practice are folks who are self-referring and are in enough discomfort that they are eager to find a way to uh, move beyond it. That being said, we all have to like approach that moment for ourselves. And particularly if we have anxiety or relational trauma, going to a room or a, a Zoom meeting with someone and like burying our hearts, is pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And yep. so, you know, I think that, um, <laughs> the more that talk about going to therapy as like just a normal thing yeah. is helpful. Like it's just, uh, and maybe it's because we work in the mental health field, but like, I don't, I don't know a friend who's not like, you know, Oh yeah. My therapist and I are, and, and that's just been really refreshing. I think the more we talk about it and we treat it, like if you have a sprained ankle, you, you treat it, you know? Right. Um, that's a great, that's and now that's metaphor. a great comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's still early. I don't know if it's an analogy. I don't either. Let's let go. Or, whether it's yeah. an analogy yeah. or a metaphor, yeah. we'll let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with that? Just normalize oh, and talking about it. More. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would also agree, or I would also say, I would add, which is something that I think that we try, however, incompletely to do with the organization. It's not so much an inner, interpersonal sort of emotional uh, thing, but, but it's a structural challenge that therapy is really, it's prohibitively expensive for many mm. people. Mm. And I think our, our experience of you know, starting therapy, just starting you know, this private practice, Laura on her own, and then joining her part-time and then moving up to full-time, it's sort of, we, it's been very important to us to have a really broad sliding scale. I know at the beginning, we, we have consistently worked with a lot of under or uninsured folks, like those hospitality workers who I've really loved working with too, folks in these folks who are working like multiple jobs, because it's, it's, it's prohibitively expensive for many people. And yeah. so trying to Increase access. Increase access <laughs> and a sense of equity in in the structural approach to therapy so that you know you, folks are less and less having to make a choice between di- different uh, things that they're accessing that all feel vital. Like, do I want to eat good food or do I want to have yeah. uh, uh, some some psychotherapy help. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, um, as a, as a multiple time recipient of your sliding scale and generosity, it made like, we would, 
I mean, we were in a place last year that <laughs> was the worst place we've ever been in financially. And, um, you know, and we didn't have insurance and didn't have insurance for a long time. And the ability that you all provided with access to that, and, and I'm, I'm not overstating this or being dramatic, it was life-changing for us to be able to do it in that way. And it feels really good also to be on the other side and have insurance and having and paying you <laughs> full, um, or at least the insurance companies, uh, you know, picking up that other piece. I, you know, and I know that that does that's not a part of everybody's practice. I'll just you know publicly say thank you for that because it it meant the world. There was something else, and and I don't remember now which one of you said it, but you know, this whole, I think it was you, Lauren, this whole idea of like coming to a room or a zoom room and, and talking about, you know, bearing your soul is, is terrifying. And if there's anybody who is listening to this, who's like, yep, that's why I'm never going to therapy. Cause I am not going into any room and bearing anything. Again, I will just go back to, to my own experience and, and hope that that is an encouragement to others. And it was, it was not an easy thing to sit and talk uh, with Michael the first couple of times that we did this. But I will say, just like anything with any relationship, it gets easier. There are things that are required of you as the client. Again, I wish I would have done it earlier. It's amazing what happens when you get over there. Again, I will just say I wish I would have done it a long time ago because the the benefits that I have after the scary going into the Zoom room. And what's interesting is we, Michael and I started during COVID. So I've never met face to face with Michael. We've never been in the same like physical room together, which is kind of crazy. I've actually <laughs> seen Lauren more face to face than I've seen you, Michael, because I drop off my daughter and have and have met her face to face. But it's just it. But that's also because of COVID pretty normal. And so it doesn't feel weird, but it is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think you speak to something, Jason, that at least in, in my experience, I think that therapy has been has become more accessible to folks who maybe don't either because of time constraints or comfort, you know, going to a stranger's office for an hour and like, what are we doing here? <laughs> might feel a little weird, but there's a, there can be both an intimacy through the screen. Like we're actually yeah. much closer right now than we would be if we were in a room together. Right. That's true. There's also like, I'm in my safe place. I've got my dog nearby. I've got my pillow, you know? I'm, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I found that it, this, the opportunity for telehealth has been really helpful and people accessing care, which is cool. Yeah. I think there are a lot that it it would be appealing for in that format versus going somewhere for so many reasons. That has to be another positive of COVID. Let's just keep silver lining that. (laughs) 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 I got to find some sort of silver lining. So I think as we're talking about, you know, going into a room and bearing your soul and and being terrified of all those things. I'm sure you run into this in probably a lot of your initial sessions and even like before initial sessions. What are some common misconceptions that people have about what you all do and how you do it? I'm sure you hear things like, "Oh, I thought it was going to be or do you, you know, but what are some common misconceptions that people have about what you do and how you do it? I think what stands out to me in that question is like I think that Well, so if we come to anything with our protective defenses up, it's really interesting to be like in a, in a moment, in a session, maybe when you're first getting started with someone or, you know, like we're at like a 
a get together and a person we don't know asks us what we do. I think people have this idea that therapists are trying to figure them out. <laughs> like, and I think yeah. um, if I'm remembering the Ted Lasso episode that y'all are referencing here, like he's just like very defensive, very oh, instantly. Yeah. 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 And that is like, I just want people to know, like, I'm not trying to figure you out. I'm not like conceptualizing <laughs> a diagnosis that fits the way you're presenting, you know, that's like, I think that that can feel like one of the biggest barriers of like, no, I'm on your team. It's cool. <laughs> like, I'm here to support you, not, not assess uh, you. Right. So, yeah, that, I get that as a coach sometimes too. People are like, oh, are you doing your voodoo coach thing right now? And Hardly ever is that, is the answer to that yes? Like, exactly. Hardly ever. Yeah. What stood out for you? <clears throat> I, I love that. That absolutely feels true. I think that it feels tangentially related, maybe at least, at least as it relates to the capacity that people think we have to be like figuring them out all the time, which I'm, I, I am also not. <laughs> um, I don't think most therapists probably are, is that I think some people, whether or not they say it explicitly, some people come in wanting to be, some people do say it explicitly, they want to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like whatever they've identified as the, as the, the like kind of glaring or booming problem in their life, they want to come in and they want uh, a therapist to, to fix it. And this is totally understandable. I've been that person too. and it's, it's not what, it's not what therapy is. We're, we're not, we're not mechanics. <laughs> um, one of my favorite, uh, uh, metaphors for therapy. We, we both have a lot of training in a, in a particular psychotherapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And there's a metaphor for the relationship between the therapist and the client that I really love, uh, in that work. That's something like, you know, the person called client and the person called therapist are are on opposing rock walls climbing. And, you know, sometimes the person called client can look back and say to the therapist, like, Hey, you know, there's a little spot, like you can't see it from where you're at, but if you reach your hand up there, you'll grab something and vice versa. The therapist can say that Mm. too. Hey, you know, just there's, there's a little outcropping. It's just to the left up there. Try and reach your hand up and see what happens. See what, Mm -hmm. what happens. And I really like that because it, it just feels much truer. There's not any, there's no magic, but there is a connection and there's perspective. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I de- I'll just say that I definitely had that perception of, isn't it the Coldplay song? I'll try to fix you. Um, I think <laughs> yes. like I taught, you know, I'm like, how, <laughs> and that was one of the questions I sent to you all, you know, uh, is there an answer to how many sessions will it take to fix me? So I, I do, I think Michael, I think you you answered that question indirectly right there because it's it's not, and that was a common misperception that I had that I was coming to be fixed, <laughs> and it's it's more like, and 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 I will say the time that I have spent with you has really helped me realize like how dualistic my thinking has been up until this point. Like it was very like has to be this or it has to be that, or I'm fixed or I'm broken, or like I need like like a mechanic, right? Like you change the oil and everything's going to be okay, right? Like you change the tires and you get a smoother ride and how all that stuff um, works. And so I appreciate that 
approach. And I, you know, if there's, if there are people listening that are, you know, <laughs> that are saying, oh, like I could never go to therapy. Like I got way too much to fix. It's not a fixing thing. It, it's an awareness thing. And I love what you just said, Michael, because I've experienced that. Like, hey, there's, you may not be able to see this, but there's this thing. And if you try, you know, and it's not like you will go do A, B, C, and D, and then you will be fixed. Ta-da. Yeah. But I think that that, at least from my perspective, as somebody who's never gone to therapy, I think that is a common uh, misconception about that. Are there any other ones that you all run into? I, I love the, the fixing thing because I think that is very prominent, but you know, maybe, you know, either misconceptions or, or excuse, I, I don't want to say excuses because that sounds harsh, but maybe there's another word that you all come into, but reasons why people will say like, I can't go to therapy. Oh yeah. I mean, another one that comes to mind is sort of the comparison of pain. Um, mm. that, that trapped that. In. So like, you know, it's not uncommon to hear someone say like, oh, but I didn't have it that bad. Or like, mm. yeah, it's hard, but like other people have it way worse. How, who am I to complain, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, I said those things. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and like my, my response to that overtly or like internally is like, we're all in our own dark forest mm. and together, like in partnership with the people who love you and through the therapeutic alliance, right? Like we can through the dark forest, recognizing we're in a dark forest and notice all the discomfort and fear that comes with that. But there's only one way, like you got to move, right? Right. And that, yeah, that's something that I think like one of my mentors in grad school just offered up is like that comparative pain just keeps us stuck. Hmm. Find our cave in the forest and we're we're stuck there, right? And that's when it becomes suffering. So I just, I hope that anyone who is stuck in that thought that like, it's not that bad. It's like, you know, someone who might struggle with drinking too much alcohol might be pretty obsessed with whether or not they drink too much alcohol. And it's like, <laughs> if you're obsessing about whether or not you drink too much alcohol, it might mean, it might indicate that you don't like your relationship with alcohol. And if like, you're sort of like thinking like, I don't know if I need therapy, therapy that, you know, it's like, that might indicate <laughs> there's something <laughs> worth at least trying out, right? Therapy <laughs> might be beneficial, yeah. right? I, I, uh, I related to that. I have, uh, there's a client who is also a psychotherapist and who is relaying an interaction with a former therapist uh, who kind of works in the same approach. And the client was sort of perseverating over something in the same way that you were just describing, like, uh, maybe I should, but I don't know how it would go. And I, I'm worried that it would look like A or B or C. And the therapist did more than this, but the kind of punchline was, how do you think we could find out? If only there was a way to know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, interesting. I love Which that I so, love much. so much. And, and maybe, maybe kind of related to that, I would add that I don't want to speak for Lauren, but I know that the, the, some of the, the training that we have really emphasizes the importance of behavior change. And I think that some, some I've definitely experienced some folks will even come, maybe they'll come to therapy even, but there'll be this of course, I guess we all have resistance to change. There's a lot of yeah, scary stuff wrapped up in change, but 
but that you won't have to change anything or that you won't have to sort of um the coming to therapy for an hour will be enough yeah that's yeah. It. <laughs> love that for yeah. hour will be enough yeah. check yeah. check and now Did, i'm yeah. good <laughs> yep i'm good got my you know it's like going to the chiropractor right i got my got my yeah. reset and i feel like we could do a um it was it came to my mind when you were you know the whole issue with alcohol and, and relationship i feel like we could do a similar bit to like the guy that did that you might be a redneck was that jeff foxworthy like yeah. you might be a redneck if you might need therapy if like there, <laughs> could, that could be that could that could maybe that's your next t-shirt right you, you might need therapy if uh if these if these things funny so oh i think so I think, you know, sometimes the roadblock for people who are maybe, you know, they've been thinking about getting a therapist, but it can seem overwhelming to try to find one, like how, you know, not mm. just find one, like, okay, you can go to the internet and look around, but finding one that is going to feel like a, a good, safe place and a good connection point. Yep. I'm curious for you guys, like, how, do, how do you, you know, allow opportunities for people to kind of explore therapy with you? And are there things that can be helpful as people are trying to navigate that kind of fit uh, match? So at least for Mike and I, I don't know about the other folks in our practice, but we don't have like, we don't have like profiles out in the world. Like we're not on psychology today. (laughs) And we, as like, as practitioners have really valued the nature of self from friends of friends or um, through the, through the, like referral network of community is what has been very helpful to us in our work, because then, you know, like we end up working with clients that sort of know our flavor. And so I would say like one of the best ways to begin is to ask your friends who they see. And if they have colleagues at their office, you know, to like, just ask around, ask your natural network of people who they really like working with is like the, it's an awesome way to begin. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then, yeah, like generally we'll do, if it's not like someone who's like, I know I really want to work with you. I've heard about you from my like cousin's friend. And <laughs> um, if it's someone who's just like sort of discovered me, at least I'll speak for myself. I might hop on a phone call with them and sort of tell them, you know, my, how I, my orientation to the work and ask what they're looking for. And if it feels like it would be a good fit for them. So that would be like a pre-step. I love that. Cause that, I think that could feel intimidating too, to like step in blind to a whole session or a couple sessions and then find out, oh gosh, maybe this isn't exactly what I was looking for. And a good therapist has done their work. You're not going to hurt their feelings if you tell them, <laughs> you know, I think I need somebody who's more structured or I need something yeah. more like existential or whatever. You probably wouldn't use those words, but you know, it's like, that's okay. We're not for everybody. Um, yeah. And um and good therapists have their own therapists to work through that with, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I now use the word efficacious after this morning. Like I need somebody who's really efficacious. Yes. Oh, so funny. That's helpful, Lauren. Thanks. All right. So I think, well, let me let me respond to I, I would love to eventually get to a place in this world where, you know, people go on Facebook all the time. They're like, I need a drywall person. I need an electrician. I need a mechanic. I would love to see people go, who, all right, who y'all seeing? Like who, who, give me some therapy <laughs> names. Give me some, That'd be great. you know, like, and it's just, and then like, see the comment section just blow up with like, you know, I found because people feel comfortable. Q, what a wonderful world. Uh, 
that maybe one day we'll get there, you know, right? Um, so another question that I have for you both, I mean, clearly you work with people like on the front end of things, through things, and like maybe if there is like a back end, like when people feel um, more equipped to handle some of those things. Um, you know, if you have somebody who's talking to you, who's like, you know, I, I think of myself actually, like, I don't like, like I said, like the onion's good. Like there's, there's a couple layers. They're really not that deep. What could people potentially, I mean, I know every person's different, but I know that you all have had obviously some successes or lots of successes. What, what does that look like for people? What do you see as a result of people going to therapy? The first thing that comes, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me, which might not actually sound especially compelling, but I don't know, like from a behavioral psychology perspective, freedom is to be in the presence of an aversive stimulus and be able to choose your response. Yes. And amen. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love uh, the phrasing of that as freedom too, because mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Same. I it's, think that's, that's a really good way to put that. Uh, it, it, it doesn't sound, you know, it's not, it's not uh, poetic. It's not the, but it's, but it's so specific and it feels really attainable. And, and so I think I was just listening to something last night that was talking about the perspective um, an interview with with a, a psychotherapist, and he was talking about how you know what happens is less the emphasis of therapy, or is less less the the subject of therapy than your response to it. Mm. Uh, yep, your response yeah. to therapy is what you have some capacity to shift. So, like for instance, I've been talking; it's come up a lot uh, recently, talking with folks about. Um, maybe like an urge, uh, like, like an urge to say, drink alcohol or, you know, with a similar inertia to it, maybe like a really, uh, painful self story, uh, like I'm unlovable or something, you know, will will show up if we, if we let go of the expectation that, that, that self story or that urge to drink is going to be dissolved. If we let go of like wanting for that to go away, of course we want it to go away. But if (laughs) we shift the focus of therapy from being like somehow magically annihilating your mind, giving you that thing that it's given you a million times before and instead focus our attention on how, how can we help you respond differently when that urge shows up? Or more expansively, more expansively, yep. more in a, in a way that's more aligned with uh, your chosen values. That's yeah, that, that's it, the lens. Like, yeah. yeah that's I love so... that. And I don't know if you guys run into this too, but this is something I, I talk to coaching clients about too, that are doing that kind of inner work there. There's also it's inner expectation that like, okay, I'm going to get to a point where 100% of the time when that thought happens, I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> and the conversation I'm constantly having is that can't be the bar. Like 100% no. is yeah. completely an illusion. It's never going to completely go away, right? Can you shoot for 20% of the time? Like let's set the low, you know, the bar a lot lower because that is a much more reasonable expectation, but we're so hard on ourselves. I think sometimes with those, those recurring issues that come up. Yeah. What about for you, Lauren, in that, that same question? 
I'm really honored that I have, I have worked with some clients on and off for the better half of like half a decade, you know, and it is just so cool to see people get to a place where, you know, they might've come in with acute distress because they were in a car accident and they're terrified to drive, but their life has become really small as a result. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Mike said, honor the experience of what they survived and move toward the life that they desire to live alongside Mm -hmm. incremental ways, Beth, I think that you're mentioning, like what are realistic attainable ways that you can live a rich life alongside the fact that this happened to you. And it's like, I think this speaks to like, how quickly can I get fixed? It's like, well, there's no magic number. And what I see on the other end as a therapist is like three months in, six months in, five years in, folks are integrating things that they felt were intolerable. And that yes. is like the coolest, coolest thing to see, yep. you know, um, in the business we call it like expanding our window of tolerance, but really it just means, can I be with this discomfort and still live a rich life? Mm. See people do that and figure it out and like feel it, you know, they're like, Oh, I feel different. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that cool? (laughs) That's a magic, right? It's because our brains are actually changing in the process, right? Yeah. There is a science to it, but it feels really good too. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like I feel like we could have like seven episodes with you too. It's, I agree. It's so I good. You asked two therapists to join podcast, so we're gonna go over time. Just I like, love it. Oh, oh, I, <laughs> and and we and we I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, yeah, we're just yeah, we're just gonna keep going. Um, <laughs> I do want to say, I want to say, I want to go back to something that was said. Um, you know, talking about having having a person, you know, who's on your side and who's walking through that. I remember when whenever my wife mentioned like, hey, maybe you would want to go to therapy. And I was like, mm, maybe I wouldn't. And um, and she said, and this was before I even met Michael, she said, you know, it what you're going to have is somebody who's going to be on your side. Uh, it still kind of chokes me up. Like I was like, I don't really know what that feels like. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, and it's true. And so again, there may be somebody who's listening, who's like, I don't know what that feels like. It feels really, really great because you have somebody who is helping you expand your, your, what did you say? Your window of tolerance. And it's just, it's light. It is, it is life-changing. And uh, I think one of the things Beth and I definitely deal with when we work with leaders, and I say this to leaders that I work with all the time, it is lonely at the top. And I don't think the top is the only place that it's lonely. (laughs) It's just just lonely. And we often come into the world and feel like we are the only ones who are dealing with whatever it happens to be. And one of the greatest experiences that I can have is when I work with a team and I get them to open up about some of their fears and and you just see the light bulbs go on around the table like, oh my gosh, you deal with that too. Like and you do to like and it may not be exactly the same thing, but it is a similar type of thing. And there's, I I just see it. There's just such a, like a relief to know that they are not the only one. What I find super helpful in therapy is that, you know, you all, Lauren and Michael, with the work that you do, I mean, you know, you see people every day, you know, that this client is not the only one dealing with that. And you don't spill what, you know, 
what other people are going through, but you're like, yeah, we, I experience this or I see this. And, and just even through that kind of vague, like connection to that, it's like, oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not the only one that's out here. So I would just, I'm going to make a plea again for people who are listening. If you have not, you know, give yourself two, three, four sessions with somebody to see what happens because you like me may think that there aren't many layers to the onion and you may be surprised to find out how many layers there are and how much these people like Michael and Lauren can help. All right. So wrapping it up, is there anything that we didn't ask you anything that you, that you think, who, since we have a listening audience and we're talking about mental health and therapy, we really want folks to know this, anything from either one of you that you just, you want to put out there in the world that people need to hear. It's a loaded question. No pressure, Lauren. No pressure at all <laughs> for that question. A gift of this work is that I have come to recognize my humanity in hearing the honest expression of folks sitting across from me. Just like you, I too struggle, right? That is like one of the greatest neutralizing gifts, Jason, that you just spoke to for us as well. You know, we're in, what is it? It's like, we're all in the same storm. We're, we just have our own little boats and like some of them have more resources on them than others. You know, that's true on a, on a more global scale in terms of like access to quality of life necessities, sure. but also in terms of our own emotional experiences, our, our well-being in the world. And it's really neutralizing too. It's like a gift of that we get to receive to hmm. know that we're all in this, you know? And the other thing I think, the only other thing I would offer is like, it doesn't have to be terrible in order for you to begin. Oh, that's good. That's a good, I love that. Yeah. You don't have to be at the bottom. The, you know, it does the, the boat doesn't need to be on fire. The wheels don't need to be off the bus. Like, no. And like yeah. people who you assume are like very quote unquote, high functioning, getting stuff done. Like, the leaders of the world, whatever, you know, it's like everybody would benefit from therapy. The world would be a much better place oh if, we all, if we all did something like a therapy. That's, that's, a that. that's, that's, I great. love that. I think that's important. Thank you both so much. This was really great. So thanks everybody for joining us today with our special guests, Michael and Lauren from Irvington Counseling Collective. We would love for you to reach out to them to check out what they offer. They are amazing uh, supporters of their community and the people who work in their community. You can check out everything that they do at irvingtoncounseling.org. Again, that's irvingtoncounseling.org. Check them out. Uh, recommend them to somebody if you know somebody who needs to talk to someone. And thanks again for being on the show, Michael and Lauren. This week's Diamond Dog submission is my dog, Kirby. So with that, Diamond Dogs adjourned. Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the Diamond Dogs podcast or wherever you like to listen.